The reading this morning is taken from Matthew, chapter 20, beginning at verse 20. And it's Jesus teaches about serving others. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. <coughs> she knelt respectively, respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, will you let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one at your right and the other at your left? But Jesus told them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of sorrow I am about to drink? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. You will indeed drink from it, he told them, but I have no right to say who will sit on the thrones next to mine. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the other ten disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant, but Jesus called them together and said, you know that in this world, kings are tyrants and officials lord it over the people beneath them. But among you, it should be quite different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve others, and to give my life as a ransom for many. Thank you very much, Alison. Thank you very much indeed. My name is John, and I live down the road. And uh, let me add my welcome to Chris's, especially if you're new here, like Tom Hewson, uh, sat at the back there. New to the 9.15, that is, obviously. New to getting up early, that kind of thing. Um, I've been asked to speak today by Mark, uh, who's our vicar, who's in Cornwall. And uh, you may read into that what you wish about what he thought, about what I might be likely to say. Um, just standing at the back there now, just uh, wiring up, I was urged with word and indeed gesture by Darren Young to keep it short. Um, which is strange because he knows me well and I've never yet done that. But I'm looking at the clock more out of tradition than anything, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> so I'm aware of when I've started and we'll see um, where we go. That um, passage that Alison just read for us, it's, uh, it's a great one, isn't it? And I don't know if you, when you read things like that, you just go, oh, people, I mean, what are we like? What are we like, those boys? And I like that because we are like that. We are like them. You would just have thought, wouldn't you, this is relative, Matthew 20, relatively close to the end of Jesus' ministry. The disciples have been with him for quite a while. You'd have thought that at least they'd have processed some of the big picture stuff about what God's kingdom is like. Jesus has spoken about it on many occasions. And yet, you know, just they'd have ironed out some of the obvious blunders that you don't do, you don't say in front of Jesus. I mean, they may well have talked about them. Uh, around the side, so to speak. But you'd have thought they'd have got away from any of this sort of keeping up with the Joneses, grasping the something-for-nothingness, the could-it-be-me-rather-than-them kind of approach, the me-me-me-ness of, of, of life, which 
is so instinctive, but you'd like to think, wouldn't you, would be less so for guys who've been following Jesus around. And yet their ability to miss the point is just as pronounced as ours is, I think, in this, in this modern era. I like it especially, it's, it's, if you read the scriptures, it's kind of interesting. When you're always given a text, you think, do I just focus on that? Do I try and get a bit of context? And when you try and get a bit of context, for example, you know, within Matthew here, reading before, after, long before, you're never absolutely sure if the order of things is exactly the order. You never know how many days there were between this event or that event, or has Matthew just pulled this little thing in here just because it, for a bit of dramatic emphasis. But just before the passage that Alison read to us, there's the bit which is entitled in my NIV, Jesus predicts his death for the third time. Now, that's a wonderful example, isn't it? For the third time. And in a few days' time, when Jesus died, the disciples were going to be devastated. And when he rose again, as he just predicted in the verse before the one that Alison started our reading with, they're going to be shocked and stunned. And you think he told them three times. What, why, what is that? In other words, that's an amazing point to miss. Jesus looks him in the eyes and says, this is how it's going to be. I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised to life. And they still miss that one. So it's not altogether surprising that they miss the more subtle ones about human behavior, is it? What are we like? Look at this story itself. It's, it, it's a, just a rather sad, sort of ordinary, everyday story of country folk in many respects, isn't it? Which is, let's get some, some people trying to get ahead. But I, I need to make a point, I think, at the outset. In, in the NIV, this, the story that Alison just read for us is entitled, A Mother's Request. All right? Yeah. Yeah. We know who's to blame, don't we? Which is a bit of a cheap shot, frankly, bearing in mind that from this platform just one week ago, we were saying how wonderful all our mothers are, how caring, how thoughtful, how this, how that, and the other. And actually, if you read the passage, it is a real swizz on motherhood to entitle it a mother's request. Because although it starts off with James and John's mother asking a request, you, as you read further, it's plain, they're right behind her. And it might read like a horrible story of a pushy mum, but what it is, is a more horrible story of a couple of cowardly, pushy boys pushing their mum. They're right there. They're right there, but bottled to ask the question themselves. Maybe they'd learned just enough of being with Jesus to anticipate the kind of response he would give, but thought they'd let their mum take the brunt of it. Um, which is a bit sad. But obviously the boys themselves, the sons of Zebedee, have got a bit of previous... Um, you'll, you, they, they're, they're also called um, Jesus referred to them in John 3 sorry Mark uh, we read them as being called not just the sons of Zebedee their dad but the sons of thunder um, and, uh, which is a translation apparently of a word you, these guys will know what it is don't know what kind of word but an old word which is boanages that's what's translated as sons of thunder I, I prefer the model equivalent which I think is head cases you know, this is, these, these boys were, you know, they had some character, let's put it that way. So they've got a bit of previous, likely to put their foot in it, a little bit headstrong perhaps and so forth. But even though we might then, right, let's take the blame off their mum and put it on to James and John instead. If we look a little bit further, we can see that the rest of the disciples are in on it in any case in, some, in terms of this sense of not quite getting it. Because although they were fully indignant, it's not at all difficult to read their indignation as not being exactly the pure, principled, righteous indignation. 
we didn't like to think it is, but a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of getting it back, a little bit of trying to position themselves. If they're going to position, we're going to position too. Because that's kind of what we're like. At which point, Jesus steps in with, you know, seemingly very patient. You must imagine the frustration that I would have thought. With the kind of lads, lads, you know, boys, boys. And we have uh, one of two key verses, I think, today. Actually, just in the same way you're cheating with your 24-7, um, I, I want to cheat with the key verse, because actually it's, it's, part, it's spread over verses 26 and 27. Do you ever get that when you read the Bible? And you sometimes think, why do they split it there? On what basis? It must have read quite similar. You get, you get a verse at the beginning of a new chapter. That Anyway, uh, this is not a verse, but it should be. And the key verse is, after the lads, lads, is where Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And these, of course, are words for us today, not just words for the disciples then. And they're yet another example of the upside-downness of God's kingdom. And again, this idea of, of, of trying to read them in context, what's interesting is about four verses before the passage uh, that uh, Alison read for us, there was the end of the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And the chapter before, Matthew 19, we read the story of the rich young man. And the payoff line for both those stories in Matthew 19, so whether it happened in that order for the disciples, it certainly happens in this order for us, so we have no excuse. The payoff line for the rich young ruler, the rich young man, and the payoff line for the parable of works on the vineyards is the last shall be first. It's really clear when we read this stuff that the whole of the passage read today and the cock text in it and so much else that we read about what Jesus says that things are different in God's kingdom. They're meant to be. And the way that we might, the way we might instinctively think about the world, the way many about us do, the way the boys here were, which is me, 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 is not the way of the kingdom. So what are we like? What are they like? What are we like? And I'm asking that question seriously because just before he fled, Mark asked me to preach on the subject of serving others. And um, whenever you're standing up here, you always like to think you might have something for everybody. There's some that we might all go away thinking, mm, mm, that's for me, wise words, John. Nobody said it yet, I think, <laughs> uh, after I've spoken, but I always like to think it, it, it possible. Um, rather than some people thinking, no, missed me, yeah, I'm already on with that, John, thank you very much, but or another thinking, yeah, he, you know, you've asked too much of me again. And I want to kind of know how to pitch it because some of us probably in this, and I think a lot of people at St. Paul's, live to serve. Uh, you may feel you're one of them. You may be a bit like my kids, people, and see what I'm doing here, who live to swerve, right? Which is that idea, you know, all of a sudden when the washing up needs doing, they've gone. <laughs> they have. And some of us are like that too, that idea of actually, sometimes, some of us are like it, actually, I like to serve like that, but when I'm asked to do this kind of thing, I'm not so sure. That ain't my gifting, or whatever it might be. And sometimes we're somewhere in between, all the way along that spectrum, we're people who will knock ourselves out, or people who like a quiet life, sometimes for perfectly good reasons, sometimes to do with our character, which is fair enough. So I'm trying to work out where to pitch this. But in order to, I think, just to really 
try and pitch what I might say right, I just want to refer to another key verse, which is also in Matthew. So our first one is about whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. But when we're talking about this idea of serving, even slaving, I think uh, a really important key verse is this one, which is from Matthew 25, 40. It's in that story which is often had, uh, subtitled The Sheep and the Goats. But it's a story where a king is deciding who of his people are going to share his inheritance. You'll know it, I think. And he says, you come with me, you guys. You come into your inheritance with me because I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. The people who are told that this is what they've done go, when do we do that exactly? And here's the key verse. Truly I tell you, when you did it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. And what seems to me to be clear, that's why I want it to be one of our key verses today, thinking about the idea of serving others, is that in serving others, we're serving Jesus. Jesus is saying that. That's actually what he has got us to do. Of course the person you're serving benefits from it, we hope. I'm sure we've all participated in acts of service where the person who was intended to benefit didn't quite. Uh, if I can pick on my children once again, there was a time they did a really, really good, thorough, excellent, excellent job on our car. Uh, a really thorough, excellent job with pan scrubs. And uh, the paint job cannot recover from having been hit with a pan scrub. But um, if you've ever seen our car, you'll know we're about as uncar proud as it can possibly be. So it's now kind of a badge of honor. Look at those scratch marks. They were our kids. <laughs> but we are serving people, but we are serving Jesus. And if we have that in our mind, I think we'll think quite differently about how we serve, if we serve, when we serve, and how we serve. If we're really serving Jesus, then I think this is really important, then there's no judging others for whether they serve as we perceive it more or less or differently it's nothing to do with us we are really good at that we are really good at judging people especially if like me you're a kind of doer doer and I, th- I think i think mark would never have asked me to preach on the subject words of prophecy for others but serving others he said get a thug like john in right because because I can knock myself out, often pointlessly, right? I, let's be honest, some of you have probably been recipients of that. But it's very easy when you feel you're putting in actual hard work to be really judgmental of others who aren't sweating as much as you are or work in a different way. So if we're serving Jesus, there's no judging of others. What's it to do with you? And actually, there's a, the parable of the workers in the vineyard, which you just had, is a brilliant, which is just before this, is just a brilliant example of that. People whinging for not getting paid enough. No, it wasn't. They got paid exactly what they were told they were going to get paid. But they were whinging about the fact that others who seemed to work less than they did got paid the same. Nothing to do with you, is what Jesus is saying. And if we're serving Jesus, let's leave that to him. Okay, let's leave that to him. If we're serving Jesus... 
Therefore, there is no condition either of our service being conditional on the people we are serving being obviously thankful or, gratitude, or full of gratitude, which is a real problem, I think. You want it to happen, don't you? I'd like to think, I'd like you to think you enjoyed that thing you do. I know I did something good for you. But actually, if we're serving Jesus, we can get over that. And we should get over that. It's hard, but if we're serving Jesus, we can get over that. If we're serving Jesus, there's no being a martyr about our service either. Which again can be a problem for many of us. That sense of, I'm, you know, I, don't you know what I'm doing? Let's face it, and verse 28 of this particular passage absolutely nails this one. When it comes to being a martyr, let's not, let's not mess with that when we're talking about Jesus. And let's not mess with being a martyr when we're talking about Easter. Okay, let's not do that. If we're serving Jesus, let's just serve him. If we're serving Jesus too, if we have that dimension to what we're doing, I think we ought to be, we will be much more thoughtful about why, how, and when we're serving. It's a cry of the age, is it not? Which is, I haven't got enough time for that, or I'm knackered, or tired in biblical language. Um, that's, it's, and, and perhaps we are doing too much, or doing too much of a thing, or we shouldn't be doing that, something we might need to give up, or something we might need to refocus. But if we just think, I, I'm called to serve, to serve others, and we're seeing it almost as an exercise in itself rather than an exercise that is focused on Jesus. If we're starting to think about serving being serving Jesus, let's ask him a little bit more about that. Don't just instinctively do that. Lots of us, and I think it's a great instinct, lots of us are yes people. And, and, and that's a good instinct. But maybe, maybe sometimes if we're thinking about it a little bit more, not just that instinct to serve, but that desire to hear from Jesus what he wants us to do. Because ultimately, if we're serving Jesus, we should be asking the question, what does the master want me to do? We can review everything we're doing in the light of that. Don't be too introspective. Don't have to worry about that, but it's a great, great question to be asking ourselves. It is easy to see a need. It is a wonderful instinct to want to meet that need. It is very easy to think, well, nobody else is going to, and therefore think you must but it's good to examine those things through the prism of what Jesus would have us do and everything else we are doing. You'll know the story of Martha and Mary. You know that one? I thought I'd talk about this. It's quite a famous story. They're, they're sisters. They happen to be sisters of uh, a man called Lazarus who Jesus raised from the dead. We read about that um, in John 11. But it's in uh, Luke 10, uh, a few verses in Luke 10, Luke 10, 38 to 40 do, that where, we, where the character of the sisters, and as popular, popularly understood, are defined as Martha, the worker, who's busy working hard, and she's complaining about her sister Mary, the, the dreamer, who's busy listening to Jesus. And uh, because Jesus commends Mary, commends Mary for sitting and listening at his feet, because it's important for her to do, saying she has chosen what is better in that instance, it's easy for Christians familiar with the story to turn what was a particular incident into a general rule, and hence for some to excuse themselves, I think, from getting their hands dirty, serving others, because Jesus needs them to do devotional stuff. And uh, we've all done this, I certainly have, I'm sure, which is, is trying to get, like last night, last night, this 
brilliant, okay, real winner. This is massive pile of, of dishes. But frankly, because I hadn't prepared enough, I said to Ruth, I just need to go and pray about what I'm talking about tomorrow. <laughs> That's right. What a swerve. Okay, right there. Okay, genius, yeah. You can ask me about other techniques later. That idea of, I, 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 just, I, I just need to go and seek Jesus' face because uh, I don't like that. Um, I don't want to have to clean the rabbit hutch out or whatever it might be. So it's easy to do that kind of, no, actually, no, it's good. You know, don't get, it's the other way around. Many of us who love to serve can be quite critical of those who don't. Many of us, uh, or seem not to, many of those who, those who have a different character, frankly, different relationship, and God is calling us to do different things. It's easy for them to think, oh, yeah, all that hard work and so forth, but you're not focusing on Jesus. And, of course, we need to embrace both. It's worth remembering in the passage, or, or, or checking in the passage in Luke 10, that Martha was distracted by, and these are the words in the passage, preparations that had to be made. Okay? It says that. These are preparations that had to be made. She wasn't just fussing. She wasn't being a martyr. Her error, interestingly, was not in doing what she was doing, but was in criticizing her sister for doing what her sister was doing. That's all. Not that her sister was doing the wrong stuff or that she was doing wrong stuff, but they were looking at each other. Rather, Martha was looking at Mary. She wasn't wasting her time. Those preparations needed making, you know, like making the meal, setting the table, cleaning up from what would happen before. There's every chance that Jesus' visit was not entirely expected, all that sort of stuff. And right now, all of us essentially are being Marys in the context of that story. All of us in here. It's interesting, as uh, uh, Richard was saying before, there are, where are the children's workers? You know, ah, they'll be working with children, okay? There's some Marthas all around this, this, this place at the moment, looking after your children, making the coffees and teas, people who are doing, you know, there's Gordon there and Robin at the back. Don't look like they're working too hard, frankly, but they're, 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 they're sort of Marthas. But all of this stuff doesn't happen by magic, does it? And it's easy to think about marriage. We're sitting here now while lots of people are working hard. Maybe, maybe some of those people around are thinking, wish we could just have one or two less Marys this morning as the children are going conkers around the, the room. It happens. My wife often does that. Um, no, it doesn't go conkers around the room. She, she, the children do while she's sat there. But God's grace is such, of course, that it's just as possible to have a close encounter with Jesus when working hard like a Martha as it is when we're sitting listening like a Mary. God's grace is also stuff such that stuff which doers love to criticize, as Martha did Mary, can be some of the kingdom's most important work. Like, you know, prayer, for example. That's soft stuff, isn't it? This 24-7 thing the guys are talking about, incredibly important kingdom work. Work. That's serving the church, it's serving people. We'll be able to serve the kingdom, our community, better if we're praying about it as well. So let's not get too obsessed from one with the other. Because just as it's possible to serve God and to meet with him while working hard, as it is when we're in a quiet room, it's possible to miss him completely doing either. I'm sure you've all been to church services. You might be experiencing it right now, which is you can sleep through, walk through everything. You're thinking about what you did yesterday, wondering about is he really looking at the clock, and so on. About the lunch and so forth. And likewise, when you're working, you're, actually it's a church work party, but you're resenting it, you're this, you're that, the other. 
One of my least favorite phrases that have become popular this time of the 21st century over the last few years, and, and to be honest, in terms of least popular phrases that have become popular in the early 21st century, it's up against some pretty stiff opposition in my view, um, is me time, right? Me time. It's on the adverts all the time. Apparently, I need to go to Leicester. No, Staffordshire, Staffordshire. That's what the Staffordshire is advertising itself at the moment for me time, right? Okay. I occasionally have to pass through it, but I'm never going to go there now. Because if it wants to sell itself on me time, it can do the other thing. Okay? My point, I suppose, is that whether we're sitting or kneeling or grafting, if we, me, are the main focus on what we're doing, have you seen how hard I'm working? Do you know how much I pray? If we are the focus, not Jesus, then let's not fool ourselves that we're either serving the master or doing what he would have us do. And actually, if we're doing one but not focused on Jesus, that kind of quiet time, or the busy time but not focused on Jesus, then let's not either be talking about one being better than the other. I often think that the last thing we want to do is to risk if we're focused on serving as being serving Jesus ultimately, the last thing, whatever our form of service is, the last thing we want to do is to find or imagine that Jesus is sitting there going, Martha, Martha, or Mary, Mary, or boys, boys, or John, John. It's about Jesus. You've heard that so often and it's a bit like the old Sunday school story about the th- question that sounds like the answer must be the camel, all right? But since it's Sunday school, the answer must be Jesus. It is. And in serving others, I think above many other things we might talk about, in serving others, the answer must be about Jesus. And if it is, then we'll be doing it more effectively, more helpfully, the people we are serving will benefit more. We ourselves will build our relationship with others and God's kingdom, God's upside down kingdom will grow to his glory and the benefit of many. Will you stand with me for a moment?